thanks to Cry Malt. This is Radio Brews News. As ever, I'm joined by my good friend, co-host, and all-round could be a guy, Pete Mitchum. Pete, welcome back. You're you're extracting it, aren't you, Matt? You you're having you have you're geeing me up. <laughs> oh, well, you had you had a go. I didn't have a go. Uh, I pointed I, out merely an observational, uh, you know, throwaway remark based on based on grammar. You have previously accused me of phoning it in, um, you know, just sort of uh, doing it automatic, thinking that it was uh, just a, you know. Hey, don't forget, I'm, I'm here on the other end of the line when you do it live every every week, and it still sounds like it could be cut and pasted, and Lockie's just, you know, editing it in. Well, it won't be Lockie editing it in today. I've uh, Lockie's headed off to Splendor in the Grass Festival. He got he I got a very apologetic oh. email last night saying that. He'd been offered free tickets and he's uh, trapped off there. So, good luck. Uh, yeah, well, hopefully I can uh, deliver the same quality that you've come to expect from Lockie. But, uh, yeah. But, mate, how are you anyway? All, all kidding aside? No, I'm very well. You know how I said, uh, just apropos, in regards to mm-hmm. uh, your my comment about not beginning sentences with, uh, with conjunctions. Prepositions or conjunctions, yes, yes. And promising to give our listeners perhaps a little bit of, um, you know, something uh, be related, but but a bit of a more sort of uh, educational value. Yes. And so do, this do week, we, do, do we need a theme song, like if, some title music for this little segment? Well, profs, profs Corner or Profs? Uh, yeah. Uh, schools in. <laughs> schools in. Yeah, something like that with a K. Um, <laughs> and a backward S. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Written in Comic like Sans. Written in chalk. Yeah. Uh, or crayon, perhaps, is, is more befitting this particular segment if it does take off. No, but what I did, I did a little bit of research and I found out, and uh, yourself and our, our listeners may be interested to know, do you know where the word alcohol comes from, Matt? I'm glad you asked. It's actually a, it's derivative of an ancient um, Arabic word, uh, alcohol, um, which means um, the essence of life, which is a bit ironic, really, when you think about, um, you know, um, a lot of... Um, I guess Arab cultures don't drink alcohol, but it's nice that they've given us that word. You're not going to thank, thank you for skirting around some what I could see. It was some very sort of uh, dangerous uh, topics. No, I'm there. saving all that good material for when we speak to uh, Mazen Hajar uh, in a couple of weeks' time. Next week, next week, in fact. So uh, yes, Something so uh, and what else? Uh, what, what have you been up to, Pete? I had a great weekend last weekend at Regional Flavors, the big food festival in in Brisbane. Um, I was hosting the Hunting Club stage, which is a pop up bar and restaurant um, in Brisbane, and uh, was fantastic. Managed to, you know, get some uh, great beers on from Four Hearts Brewing at Ipswich, um, Green Beacon in Brisbane, Stone and Wood, and Feral. So, and they seem to go down very very nicely. Um, yeah, yeah no, it certainly looked good, and and that's one event that uh, from afar. I mean, I've been involved in it, but lucky enough to uh, be at two. I haven't been there the last two years now, uh, but before that, the numbers just seem to be growing and growing. Oh, I think they they still don't know. Um, they somewhere between eighty to ninety thousand. They, they really do I... need a gate or something, so because it's an. Yeah, it's a great free festival, but that of course it then means that you, you you don't have a you know a gate or a you know a turnstile or a ticket system to sort of uh, to clock your numbers. But it's certainly that's funny. You should mention that prof. They they actually set up there's a um a new method because you know everyone you know but the toddlers have mobile phones these days, um, and they're generally Wi-Fi enabled. enabled. Yeah. Um, that 
they're, they're able to tell um, and produce heat maps on how people move through it um, just by the uh, yeah. Mobile phones that are passing, and you know they, they just obviously as mobile phones go past, they ping the um the base stations. It gives them idea. It doesn't tell you who you are or anything like that, but uh, it it does give it, at major events like that. It does give them the ability to work out, you know, how people are going, where traffic blockages is, you know, what's popular. Yeah. So um, do you get like a, do you get to see that map? Like, is there a really thick, rich, vibrant, you know, red line that sort of goes in towards the hunting club, and then you know, two hours later goes from there to the public toilet block or something? <laughs> Well, I, I don't know that I'm going to get to see that level of detail, but I'm pretty sure there'll be a nice red, uh, you know, heat map uh, around the hunting club because it was very, very well attended and uh, it managed to host some great um, chefs on stage. Paul West from River Cottage, Australia. Um, Adrian Liao from MasterChef, season two MasterChef winner. He Was he the fellow that pipped, um, oh no, uh, I was going to say Chris Badnock was pipped by um, Julie um, back in the yep. day. Um but uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, some really wonderful people did. You know, cooking. It was sponsored by Target 100, um, which is an initiative of the Australian uh, Meat and Livestock Association, uh, looking at you know sustainability and uh, you know animal welfare. So um, did lots of beef, stripped down a lamb carcass, stripped down a four quarter of beef, did lots of flank steak cooking, and uh, matched it all with beer. So I had a great weekend. You know, really, Good. Really... It's not nice to hear there's something there for the vegans and the vegetarians. So. I'm not sure who it was. To get upset about. I think it was one of my brewer friends on Facebook who was feeding his daughter and trying to... Con- con- it might have been Ben Krause. I'm not sure, but trying to sort of get the, the, the child to eat the mushrooms in the, 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 the spag bowl and you know, did the old, it's meat for vegetarians. And she turned <laughs> to him and so said, but I'm not a vegetarian. <laughs> That's gold. You can't argue with that. But anyway, Pete... Um, Big show uh, today. We've got uh, Bobby Henry from Quiet Deeds uh, Brewery. We're having a chat to, to, to Bobby. Um, Quiet yeah, looking Deeds. forward to that one. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's one of those ones that, you know, it, look, people are very passionate about the, the politics of brewing and, you know, big versus small and contract brewing and, and those sorts of things. And, you know, I, I wrote, um, you know, some fairly robust comments when they first launched and I, with their first media release that, um, you know, sort of didn't quite hit the mark, I thought, you know, with the craft beer vibe. Admittedly, you know, I've sort of matured a little bit and they've certainly changed their their view, but they're in the process of building a, a brewery. And, uh, you know, I met Bobby a couple of months ago when he was up in Brisbane talking quiet deeds and, uh, yeah, lovely guy. And uh, the, the interview will certainly bear that out. Yeah, definitely one. Where, and it'll, it'll come up in the interview that um, it, it's a brand that I certainly have revisited based on, uh, chatting to Bobby and and hearing a bit more of the the story, I wouldn't say they've done a one eighty, but they've um, but they've certainly changed tack. But doesn't it? Isn't that of itself? You know, the the way that we comment on it. Um, you know, I, I had a set against them after their first media release, and you know, I, I, the, the branding represented certain things to me. Um, and you know, there was certainly nothing wrong with the beers. The beers were, were very tasty, and they've brought out some cracking beers since. You know, their, their white IPA um, I really enjoyed particularly, and they've you know brought out some other nice beers. But you know, ha- ha- meeting the brewer and sort of have, you know, you know, thinking, gee, what a nice guy. Just I'll, I'll revisit that brand. You know, even if the beers the same, we are conditioned um, to make you know choices based on a whole lot of emotional things that we probably you know, don't always recognise. Yeah, for sure. And that's very true. It's, it's been interesting to see some of the discussion around Fat Yak um, and Lazy Yak and, uh, you know, 
the craft beer in general. But uh, anyway, but rather than disappear down that rabbit hole, uh, I, I, we, we caught up with uh, Bobby Henry, and my first question was, uh, who is Bobby Henry? Oh, who is Bobby Henry? That's a good one. Um, Bobby Henry is a kid who grew up in the country, uh, who had a passion from a, for a beer from a really young age, and um, went off and studied at the big city in the big city engineering, and eventually found his way back to his passion, which was brewing. But what is it about? I noticed that I think I noticed when I went to the first Australian National Homebrewers Conference, which is probably five or six years ago, maybe even a little bit longer. Um, chatting with you know all of the delegates there, and, and I came up with this equation that you know if you're in any group of homebrewers, half of them are going to be computer programmers, and a third are going to be engineers. What is it about you know those two professions? Um, you know, and, and that's discounting the people who have you know science backgrounds and things like that. What is it about those professions that you know find themselves gravitating towards you know brewing? I can't really speak for the computer programmer guys, but uh, for the engineers, it's really just... I mean, I studied chemical engineering, and for us, it was all about reactions and heat transfer and um, using ingredients in whatever process we were doing to come out with a final product. And I guess beer is just one of the perfect examples where there's a very uh, a limited amount of ingredients that are used, and you can create something wonderful um, through a quite complicated and technical process. Um, it basically allows you to use every different aspect of chemical engineering to start with some raw ingredients and end up with a delicious product at the end. Um, for us, it was just a little hobby project that we did uh, throughout the year. We used to have beers under the bridge and um, you know, have competitions about who would make the best beer in the engineering fraternity. And look, it wasn't just chemical engineers that were involved. It was mechanical and electrical and everyone. Um, I think it's really just about the process for, for engineers. It's the science behind it all. Um, and you know what? There's nothing better than sharing beers with mates. I think that's the thing for us. It was a camaraderie. Yeah, but uh, you just don't see that many, you know, lawyers and, and and that sort of thing. You you just don't see the same, um, you know, sort of uh, gathering of uh, other professions as you do some of those. And I, you know, I've tried to rationalise it myself. I, you know, explain it, and it, it, it seems to be their their, um, you know, maths based or um, you know, things that are, are very precise and have absolute laws to them. Um, you know, one and one is always going to equal two. Um, but then, you know, yeah. if you're writing computer code, it needs to work. So you need to follow the basic rules. But then there is a certain amount of artistry in getting there and there is elegant code and there is ugly code. And I, I guess brewing is, is, is the same. You know, if you don't right. do it, some fundamental things right, you're just not going to come out with a beer. But there is artistry involved in it. And, you know, engineering and you know, chemical engineering seems to have some of those same um, traits to it. Matt, I think you're overthinking this a bit too much. The basic thing is that... All university <laughs> students want to save money and not have to pay full whack for their beer. Humanities and art students are just too lazy to homebrew. So they, so they, they hang around the engies who have got that get up and go to get out and do it. And then they go, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll be your, um, your R&D department. <laughs> okay. You know what? And, like, and, lawyers, and lawyers can afford to, fa- to pay full whack for their beer so they don't have to homebrew. I, you're, I think you're... you're, you're Right on the money. I mean, I, the reason I, the reason my dad started brewing was because, like I said, we grew up in the country. We didn't really have that much money. Um, and for, for dad, we had people come over to our house all the time. And creating a beer and being able to share with friends without having to go on and spend money on cartons of beer was a really great way to engage with his friendship group and have a chat about some stuff and share. 
Um, and it was kind of the same in engineering, you know, as engineering students, we all worked, we all had second jobs, but we didn't have much money. And, you know, brewing beer was a really cheap way to spend time with friends and, you know, have a good time. And that's really what it was for us. And it was great. We loved it. We absolutely loved it. Still do today. Uh, I feel put in my box now uh, after that. Uh, not, not... <laughs> I only say that because I, I used to hang around. I, do, I did arts. Um, and and I, look, I still to this day, I was, I was a, uh, let's just say I, I loved learning things, but I wasn't a very good student. So for me, um, first year uni was, was some of the best five years of my life. And um, I used to hang around with the engineering students because they were just so much more fun. <laughs> Really? See, the engineering students I knew were basically trashed, and you know, the, which because they enjoyed it uh, a lot, but it just didn't seem to be a, you know, a, a culture around creation. It was a culture around consumption. Yeah, nah, I, I nah, think nah. yeah, it was like that for us as well. To be honest, it was just fun. <laughs> we just had fun. Oh, and, and actually, the other thing that I need to comment, you know, the other stereotype that uh, you certainly um, fulfil is uh, you are the bearded brewer. Um, and uh, I think that if there was a rate beard um, website, you would uh, have the highest rated beard in Australia. Um, it's, an, it's probably the <laughs> plushest. Uh, actually, quick prof, uh, jump online and uh, nail down that, that URL because someone will... Uh, uh... Yeah, someone will take that. I've, I've got, I'm, I'm getting beard advocate as well. Um, That's fantastic. Yeah, Bobby. To, for those who don't know, and we should, we probably we'll, we'll get you to uh, flick us a, a biopic that we can link to in the show notes. Um, but not only the plushest, but it is by far the neatest. So I don't know whether that's a you know a, 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 a clinical engineering kind of thing as well, or whether you just <laughs> particularly got a lot of time on your hands while you're waiting for the brewery to be installed. You know what, guys? I'm really sorry to disappoint you. I've shaved it. Oh off. no! Oh no! Oh, we're gonna have to get. We're gonna have to get. A, here's one we prepared earlier. Pick. I'll get a before and after, and after photo <laughs> yeah. for you, so you can Done. see what I bring look back, like without Bring a beard back Bobby's well. beard. That's it. There's a, yeah, we're gonna have to get a, a social media yeah, campaign. Bring back Bobby's grab beard. Grab that URL. Yeah, as well. we'll, <laughs> we'll do that. I'm, I'm doing that as we speak. So if I sound a little bit distracted, <laughs> Prof, you might need to ask the questions. But it, all, all of this is by way of introducing uh, Bobby Henry to the people. But um, you are, of course, the brewer at Quiet Deeds, um, the, the Red Island. Uh, you know, what has up until now, or is still currently a brewing label, but soon to have its own brewery. Yeah, tell us a little bit of how you came to uh, to, to be working for um, Quiet Deeds. Well, like I, like I said, I went, to, I studied chemical engineering, but for 10 years I actually went off and worked in the pharmaceutical industry. Um, I did various sales and marketing sort of roles in that industry. And after 10 years, me and my wife decided we wanted to have a little adventure before we settled down to have some children. So we um, found ourselves traveling over to Vancouver and I sort of looked at it as an opportunity to explore a passion of mine, which is beer. So I got over there and uh, went out and met a whole heap of different brewers and visited a lot of different breweries. And eventually, after a very short period of time, actually, I was really lucky to get a job as a brewer at a company called Red Truck Beer Company. Uh, they were expanding their brewing process. They were actually building a new fan-angled, spiffy, brand-new 60-hectolitre brewery, and um, they were looking to ramp up their current brewery to maximise the output. Um, so I was basically brought on as part of the team to help them you know, make sure that they were getting the efficiencies that they needed out of the brewery so that they could have less of a gap between their 20-hectolitre and their 60-hectolitre brew house when it finally got switched on. 
it was great fun working with the guys at Red Truck. Um, I love that company. It was awesome. And, um, you know, I can happily say that we did really well. We never ran out of beer and we switched over to the brand new brewery the week that I left. So I never actually got to work on the Rolex system, unfortunately. Um, but it was a really beautiful brewery and I've seen lots of photos and videos since. While I was over there, though, Pat and Dave, um, who are the owners of Red Island, I've known for a very long time, they came and visited me to talk about beer. Uh, they had the idea of uh, finally um, you know, creating a beer label and building a brewery, which is what they got into the industry uh, for 12 years ago. Um, they just never had the money or the means to be able to do it, and they were finally in a position to be able to do it. So we had a chat about different beers and breweries, and we went on a big tour around Portland and Seattle and in Vancouver as well. I think we went to, I don't know, like 20 different breweries over about six days. It was good fun. Um, I can't tell you how many beers we drank. And, uh, yeah, I guess that's where sort of the idea of me coming back and helping them build their brewery here in Melbourne really stemmed from. So when we decided to make the journey back, they called me and said, hey, come and work for us. We want to build this brewery and get it finally going. So that's how I ended up at Quiet Deeds. And we've seen a big change in, in the beers uh, since since you've joined. I'm just uh, reading the initial media release that certainly had, uh, you know, some of the beer community um, up in arms when they were uh, when it first launched. And, you know, I, I guess it would be fair to say that uh, Quiet Deeds underwhelmed the market when it first came out with its uh, um, pale ale. But you've, you've certainly been looking at some of the flavours um, that you've developed more recently. You've just come out with a Lamington beer. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about the evolution and, and what's gone on um, since before you arrived and uh, after you've arrived with the, you know, sort of the, the approach to brewing? Yeah, absolutely. Look, when Pat and Dave came and first visited me, they actually brought me some samples of their original batch to get my feedback and my thoughts on it. Um, and I guess this is where our relationship really stems from. Like I said, I've known the guys for a long time. I've got you know, a good relationship with the guys and I can really be open and honest with them. And I gave them my open and honest feedback about those beers, which was at the time they were a little underwhelming. Um, my first role when I, when I came back, my first job um, at Quiet Deeds was to really, really bring the beers up to the level they should be. Um, you know, it's very challenging working with um, contract breweries because especially using multiple different ones, um, getting consistency and getting the correct flavours and making sure they're, they're consistent, I guess, is the big thing, um, is a challenge. And, you know, I've been able to streamline those processes and develop some really close relationships with the breweries that we're currently using. And I'm really happy with the recipes that we've developed now. So it really just was about fiddling around with the recipes. I didn't want to change the beers too much because there were a, a lot of people out there who were drinking our beers who did enjoy them. So I didn't want to shock them by starting from scratch. So I basically just slightly vary the beers over about six or seven different iterations and um, got to a point that I was really happy with while we're contract brewing. Now, I'm sure those beers will change again once we move into our own brewery because as any brewer out there would know, it's really hard to emulate someone else's beers in a brewery because every brewery is slightly different. Um, but at the moment, we're really happy with them until we have our own place. In terms of the other beers, it's really just about having a bit of fun and drinking stuff that I personally and the guys here and everyone who works for Red Island likes to drink and is interested in. I mean, the Lamington Ale um, was really an idea that I had when I was over in uh, Vancouver. When we were on the way home, we actually drove through America. And during the fall season in America, uh, they have their pumpkin beers. Uh, I don't know that Australians don't really like that flavour of pumpkin pie or pumpkin beer. So I was thinking, what's something that sort of fits into our diet or our 
um, culture that has that same ideal, you know, having a dessert as a beer and something fun and interesting to try. Um, and that's where I came up with the idea of the Lamington Ale. You know, chocolate and coconut, who doesn't love it? And who doesn't love a Lamington in Australia? And I have to say, having tried the beer at, uh, at Gabs this year for the first time, um, it was certainly not underwhelming. It was it had perfect balance in terms of, you know, sometimes those um, dessert-style beers can be a little bit too heavy on the coconut or, or, or too, you know, trying to be too chocolatey for chocolate's sake. Yeah. But I thought with this one... It, at its essence, in it, at its heart, it was a beer. So it tasted beer-like, but then it had these uh, this beautiful thread sort of weaving through it of the of the coconut and chocolate. So, and for a you know a bottled um, core range beer, I thought uh, big ups to you guys because I think that's a very a bold step. But to execute it so well, I think justifies the uh, the chance you took. Yeah, great. Thanks very much. I mean, that's I think that's just something. I learnt when, you know, when I was brewing as an engineer and when I was brewing for my friends, people like to have interesting tasting beers, but they want to enjoy two or three of them. So if you go too hard on any one flavour, I mean, I understand that the Gabs Festival is very different to that. You know, Gabs, it's got to be something outrageous. I mean, even my Gabs beer this year, I made a smoked Hefeweizen, but I went quite light, you know, quite subtle on the smoke. And a lot of the feedback that we got during the Gabs Festival was that it didn't stand out enough, that it wasn't smoky enough, that there wasn't enough flavour, it didn't shock people enough. But we actually made a few extra kegs of that beer and we put it out into the market um, in a few select pubs around Melbourne. And the feedback that we got from those pubs was that it was a really great beer, that people could go back and enjoy a couple of them, that it wasn't too overwhelming, that people could enjoy you know, multiple different pints. And to me, drinking beer isn't about shocking people. It's about enjoying a really flavourful product that might be a little bit interesting and intriguing, but that can be in, you can enjoy a couple of them. You know, you don't want to have one that just destroys you, and you can't have another one because all you can taste is smoke from there on in. Um, it's about balance, and I think you know any good beer is is all of, it's got to be. Balanced. And that's one of the, the the interesting things, and even the use. You know, Pete and I both use the term underwhelming. Um, you know, in relation to beers, and I guess that's one of those. Sort of tensions that, that exists in in the brewing industry. Craft has largely built its name on flavour and being bold, and that was where a lot of the excitement and the attention came from. But ultimately, the, the beers that are commercially available are you know because people want to drink them, and you know the, the widest part of the beer market or the biggest part of the beer market still just wants beers that are, are, are very very drinkable. Um, and we're seeing you know most breweries. Uh, you know, uh, even breweries like Mountain Goat, which has brought out its Golden Ale or you know, its um, Summer Ale um, and its Steam Ale, um, and, and a lot of the well-established breweries, Stone and Wood launched on a very uh, sort of approachable and drinkable beer that had a lovely fragrance. Um, we have seen all of that go, but then there still seems to be this suspicion of breweries that come from nowhere and launch that style of beer. Or, you know, even worse, we saw Forex um, come out with a uh, Forex... Pale ale, yeah, which, uh, you know, again, it, it, it's it's certainly not in the pale ale in the little creatures sense that a lot of people associate pale with, but it, it's yeah. definitely a step up from the, you know, not a huge step up, but it's a step up from the Forex Gold Lager. There is that, um, you know, sort of uh, tension that exists between, you know, exactly what flavour should be, but there's also that little bit of hypocrisy w w within the industry that, you know, if, if we like the brewery, we're a lot more forgiving of their willingness to come out with beers that maybe aren't, you know, designed to be challenging and are designed to have, have broad appeal. Yeah. And look, I mean, 
you know, we've got a pale ale. We have a session ale as well. Um, I mean, even our IPA, it's a, it's sort of like a hybrid IPA. It's more of an English style, a little sweeter, a little bit easier to drink, not super alcoholic, not really bitter. Um, it's an approachable IPA. And look, I mean, that's, that has been a, a little bit of the criticism, I guess, we've had of some of the Quiet Deeds beers. But, you know, what I've done in improving the beer's flavours is just to make them more flavourful. That's what I love about craft beer. It's it's that next step up. It's not bland, it's flavorful. There's something unique and interesting to the flavor and the style of the beer. Um, but it's got to be well balanced. I mean, you can't have these beers that are ridiculously hoppy because, you know, it's great to have a really hoppy beer, but it needs to be a little bit sweeter because if it's going to be bitter and it's not sweet, people just won't drink it. Um, it's kind of, you know, like the Lamington Ale. It's an interesting beer. You won't get a 4X making a Lamington Ale. Um, the chocolate and coconut flavours, they go so well together, but you can't have it too coconutty and you can't have it too sweet and chocolatey. Um, that beer's really dry, and I made it really dry so that people could have a six-pack. Um, you know, it, it's really interesting to see the big guys coming out with all of these beers that are trying to emulate craft, but they're just still slightly off the mark. Um, and it's, I don't know, it's really interesting that they've recognised that the craft beer industry obviously is impacting their sales and they're trying to to beat that and trying to um, be at the forefront of it as well, but they're just still missing it slightly. But you, 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 you throw that term craft out there and, you know, I, that's another term that we've come to debate quite a bit on Radio Brews News on exactly what that means because when you've got breweries that, you know, started small and, you know, we see how many are brewing at somewhere like Laverton, um, the Asahi Brewery down in Laverton. And, you know, that, that's what, a 250-hectolitre um, brew house? That's a, you know, that, that's that's a big brew house, um, you know. Yeah, um, and, and even, you know, the, the 100-hectolitre uh, breweries that are sort of going around. Um, you're talking about fairly big breweries. Um, and, you, you know, when, when size starts dropping from the equation, um, you know, what is the idea of craft that we're talking about? Are we just talking about, uh, you know, better beer, beer that's not sort of gearing for the lowest common denominator and, you know, is, is more willing to, you know, find a niche within the market as opposed to, you know, brewery size? Look, it's, it's a real, I mean, it's a really good question. It's a really tough question. The Australian markets, I mean, my vast experience has been over in Canada and North America. And it's very different in market in Australia. There's a lot more breweries here that start out by contract brewing. Um, over there, it it's really stems from home brewers who have a little bit of extra money or get some investment from someone and open up their brewery. Um, very rarely do you hear of people contract brewing out of America. In Australia, it's more common. And I think it's it's a way and it's almost a culture here to get a leg up into the industry. Look, maybe we at Quiet Deeds are a little bit different. I mean, I think a lot of people wrote us off when the boys first started. They sort of wrote Quiet Deeds off as a brand that was one of those marketing brands. Um, you know, I think a little bit of it is about intention. The boys always intended to have their own brewery, and for them, getting their beer contract brewed and getting it done uh, at another facility was the leg up for them that they needed to get some market penetration so that they could invest that money that they were going to invest in a brewery and be confident that it was going to work. Um, so, I mean, it's a hard one to answer because you see some of the big guys who started out small who now are contract brewing at places like Asahi. At what point do you draw the line? At what point does it not become craft anymore? 
I honestly just feel like it's all about intent. It's about, and the intention of Quiet Deeds is to make really, really nice tasting beer that everyone can enjoy and share with their friends, and that's what it's all about. For it's us. a hard thing to hang a to, to hang a business on intent, isn't it? Because it's you know really inviting people to have to look into the heart of the the person who stands in front of them, as opposed to look at you know some of the other things. Uh, and God, I, I can't think of too many. Uh, contract breweries over the last uh, 10 or 12 years that I've spoken to who haven't, you know, inverted commas, had the intention of, um, you know, building a brewery. They all plan to. It's, you know, it, it, yeah. it's how quickly that they move in into putting down bricks and mortar. It's one of those funny things. I mean, you know, I've met some, obviously I've met those people and I, I know the people that you're talking about and sometimes you can see the intent and sometimes you can't. Um, and it is hard. I think sometimes people do start out with best intentions. Uh, it's then following through. And I think that's one of the biggest... I mean, that's one of the things that I'm most proud about Quiet Deeds is we are following through with the intention that we had, which was to open our own brewery. Um, and I'm really glad that, you know, by November that the stainless steel will be here and that we'll be laying it down and actually getting getting into being a craft brewery, getting into having the bricks and mortar, getting into having people come and try our beers at our own venue and seeing how it all works. Um, I find, I think if I was in the position of the other people, it would be hard. It would be hard to maintain that sort of story about who I am and why I'm craft. Um, I'm less inclined to think that they are, to be honest. Bobby, it's obviously going to be a lot easier once, as you say, people can front up to the bar at the Quiet Deeds Brewery uh, in the tasting room or, or at the bar or whatever it is and, and try the beers and be talked through them perhaps by yourself or you know the rest of the brew crew, whatever it might be. Between now and then, have you found that there's a bit of a turning back towards giving Quiet Deeds another chance? Um, are people aware that the, the recipes have changed, that there's now, if you like, you know, in very simple terms, there's now a brewer um, making those beers? Yeah, look, I mean, as you've said before, um, you know, there's not much to do at the moment while there's no brewery. So I've really been out hitting the road and spending as much time in front of the craft um, industry as I possibly can to really let them know who I am and what I'm about and really what Quiet Deeds is about. Um, you know, telling them about the brewery, telling them about how I've changed the beers, telling them about the direction that we're going. And look, I mean, all credit to Pat and Dave. The guys uh, have worked really hard to get in the position they're in. They've finally got the means to be able to build their brewery and they're following through with it. Um, they had a mate who was a brewer and they've asked him to come on board and, and be the brewer for them and I'm glad to be here. Um, and I think just having me out there talking to the people and, you know, Pat and Dave, they've both gone and they've both done some brewing courses out at the Ballarat University. So they have an understanding of the process. They love beer. They just didn't know it in detail enough to be able to actually influence the brewing process and actually make changes to the recipes. They knew that something wasn't quite right, but they just couldn't put their finger on what it was. And me coming on board and being able to implement those changes and then explain them to the industry has made massive changes to people's perception of who we are and what Quiet Deeds is about. Um, introducing a few new different flavours of beers into our portfolio. Um, some more interest around our limited release beers. All of those things has really changed people's perception about who we are. And I mean, you can go back and have a look at all the social media stuff that's been happening in the last 12 months, and everyone's reaction has basically been, it's time to revisit Quiet Deeds, things are changing. And look, they really are. 
So tell us, uh, we know you've got the brewery due in November. What, what are the plans around having a, you know, a bar and you know, what will people be able to come and visit? Hey, look, you know what, that's a really great question. Um, so we've been in Port Melbourne for, well, the boys have been here for 12 years. They started at the Kennards Hire in Port Melbourne, believe it or not. Um, they've always been here. Their heart is really in Port Melbourne. Both of the boys have lived in Port Melbourne. We've got a what location at the moment in a little industrial park in Port Melbourne. And we're just trying to make the best of the opportunity that we've got. We're not 100% happy with the warehouse that we've got because it's not that conducive to people coming to drink our beers. And for me, and as I've said before, the most important thing for me is people being able to be able to try your beer and sit down and drink it and see where it's made. So we're actually at the moment, we're looking around. Uh, we're not leaving any stone unturned, to be honest. We're you do know that there's a um, there's an opening uh, out Port Melbourne. There's, a, a, a... <laughs> there's an opening over here in Port Melbourne? Yeah. Yeah, there's a, a, a previous brewer um, has uh, kind of lost interest in, in uh, brewing out there and has left a, a pretty well-appointed uh, facility. I believe someone else is moving in there. Ah, he didn't get there quick enough. Yeah, no, we actually did approach them, but um, it sort of fell through a little bit, to be honest. It wouldn't be a brewery, would it? They would have made sure that out. anyone other than a brewery uh, would have moved in there, wouldn't they? Well, that was the initial conversation, that they were not allowing anyone else to move in there, um, but it actually turns out that another brewery is moving in there. Oh, there you go. You heard it first here on Radio Brews News, folks. <laughs> I don't know when that's going to be happening, and I don't know how much I'm actually supposed to know about that, but I'm pretty confident that there's another brewery moving in there who's already an established brewery. So we, I'm sure you'll hear about that uh, in the not-too-distant future. But yeah, no, look, we did, we actually have looked at warehouses, a few other warehouses around that same location that we were looking at. Um, it's really just for us right now. It's about locking something down in the next four weeks um, because the timeline is shrinking uh, rapidly before our eyes and we really need to lock down a location. But to be honest, we're looking at places in Collingwood. Look, we're looking at places in North Melbourne. We're looking at places, um, you know, out in Coburg even. We don't want to leave any stone unturned. We want to find the right spot for quiet deeds. We would love if it was in Port Melbourne. Port Melbourne is our home. That's where we've started. That's where the boys have been for the last 12 years. And um, there's a couple of places we're looking at here as well. So we'll have a bit more news around that towards the end of the year. Just one last question before we let you go. We, we've talked a lot about um, you know, labelling and, and those sorts of things on Radio Brews News. Um, what's your statement on your can? Um, first of all, have you sort of had any sort of conversations with the ACCC around labelling? Were they were you one of the breweries that they got in contact with just to uh, sort of get your thoughts on it? No, look, we haven't been contacted by the ACCC. I have heard about that um, that happening. Yeah, we have. Look, we haven't had any trouble with our our labelling or branding or anything to do with that. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't really have anything to comment. Yeah, on, to just uh, I, I'm trying to think of the last time I saw one of the one of your cans. Do you uh, do, you, do you make the statement that it's uh, brewed under contract on on your your, your can? No, we don't. To be honest, I, that's okay. Uh, no, like, that's a question without notice. I was just. He's uh, responsible for what goes in it rather than what goes on it. Yeah, no, I honestly, uh, I usually look at the front label and uh, the spelling and stuff like that. And then usually I look at the blurb, but I don't look at anything else. I'm just having a look right now, to be honest. I, I have not actually had a look. That's not one of our most recent cans. Just give me a look at this one. 
I've seen a lot of changes over the last few months. So, so yeah, we might just play some thinking music oh, while. Uh... <laughs> no, it doesn't say on here that it is contract brewed. Um, we're actually just going through a whole, not a rebranding, but a little bit of a, a change um, with our labels at the moment, just because of some feedback that we had from the marketplace about it being hard to read and not people not understanding what it is. And look, we're even considering dropping the Red Island part because people don't know how Red Island associates with Quiet Deeds and what that all means. So we're looking at um, actually renaming the brewery to Quiet Deeds Brewing or just Deeds Brewing. Um, you know, I guess it'll be more clear for us towards the end of the year when we actually have our space and, um, you know, we're brewing our, our stuff ourselves and we'll have a bottling and canning line and, you know, we'll be packaging it all on site. So, um, you know, I'm not too worried about that right now because I know that it's all going to change in the next three months anyway. So, As happens in the world of small brewing. Bobby Henry, thank you very much for joining us on Radio Brews News and all the best getting your brewery in in time for November and uh, we look forward to stopping by for a beer. Great, fantastic. I can't wait for you guys to come in. In a garden, what a garden. Only happy faces bloom there. Brews News is made possible by Brewpack, Australia's number one craft contract brewer. With over 100 craft beers and ciders on the roster and counting, Brewpack specialises in offering growing craft breweries a home for their packaged and kegged beer, no matter how crafty. Serious about handmade beers, and with an open-door policy, Brewpack's brewers love having passionate, hands-on partners in the brewery. Thinking about craft contract brewing? Think Brewpack. And uh, yes, we thank Brewpack for not only making a whole lot of great craft beers possible, but also for making this podcast possible. There we go, Prof. Bobby Henry, Quiet Deeds. Uh, really, really nice guy these days without a beard. Yes. I don't, I'm, I'm still kind of... Um, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I, I don't know what to, where to go. I was just sort of, yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to catching up with him now and seeing him sans beard. I'm uh, hoping that by the time this goes to air, we'll be able to have a pre and post uh, shaving Before shot, and so, after. Yeah, yeah so everyone can see it. But uh, the the other thing is that while we were chatting, I don't think I, I, I didn't say it on air, but I did manage. If you heard some typing in the background, listeners, that was me snaffling the uh, ratebeard.com. <laughs> did you get beard, you. beard advocate as well? I did get beard advocate as well. Beautiful. So uh, so 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 look for some uh, fun and hijinks on those two web pages. Well, see, um, I'm conflicted now because I I I just don't respect him as much as a as a, a competent technically um sound brewer now that he that he no longer has his beard that's you know <laughs> you, you you think that's all part of it <laughs> no matt i'm not a hipster no well i mean i'm, I'm very proud uh Ironically. actually i changed my um twitter handle to say you know no beard no tattoos and not hip because you know i'm the least cool bloke <laughs> you're ever likely to meet um who no just beard happened. no tats no service <laughs> yeah <laughs> That that could be our our, our bar name, but uh, anyway, yeah. um, second interview today we're talking malt. Um, you know, it's a bit of controversy uh, from our end, Pete. You know, obviously Australian Brews News is sponsored by Cry Malt, um, who has been a very long-standing and a generous benefactor and and a very tolerant man. Who, uh, <laughs> considering our lack of regularity, um, previous consistency, yeah, previous inconsistency. You know, actually, which I think we've addressed pretty well. We have, but, but look, in the same way that we have. Uh, Brewers who who support our site, and then we we interview other brewers who who are not supporters of the site. Um, it just happens that yeah, David Cryer and Cryer Malt have been particularly good to us, and and are I guess the major sponsor of Radio Brews News. 
Uh, but I'm sure uh, in the same way that most craft brewers see each other as, as compadres rather than competitors, uh, I'm sure David will be happy for us to um, uh, chat with our guests today. Absolutely. Well, um, that and that's why we love David, and that's also the, the way we uh, roll here at Radio Brews News. Um, you know, we go where the story is, and today we're talking to uh, Gabby and Doug Michael from Gladfield Malt in New Zealand, small little uh, uh, malting business uh, set up specifically to target um, making malts for the Australian craft beer industry. So stick with us uh, while we, uh, well, without any further ado, let's uh, go into our chat with Doug and Gabby. Doug and uh, Gabby Michael, welcome to Radio Brews News. Oh, thank you. It's a, it's a pleasure to be in your show, Matt and Peter. Yeah, thanks for having us. I was just saying to Matt before, the advantage that we've got over some other uh, podcasts that you've been involved with recently is that we actually know where you are. <laughs> yeah. like we know, we're aware of the, the location of New Zealand. That would be great, eh? Yeah, yeah, it's not far from Aussie, eh? That's it. it, it, it it's just down off the uh, coast of Fremantle, isn't it? That's the one, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can swim there if you want. Just watch out for sharks. Yeah, oh, yeah. we've got to be very careful about exactly. that. But guys, thank you for joining us. And I guess... You know, the, the very first question, um, we're, we're going to be talking a little bit about malt um, in, in this uh, podcast, which is a, an ingredient that probably doesn't get the love that it, that it wants in this, uh, you know, hop-heavy uh, um, world of ours. Um, but maybe you can tell us a little bit about, you know, who uh, Dag and, Doug and... Dag, there we go, I'm insulting the guests already. Um, Doug and Gabby Michael are. Okay, well, we're just... Uh... Ordinary farm. Well, we were ordinary farmers here over in, in Dunsana, which is a small place in the Canterbury Plains there. And, and Gabby uh, is obviously a Brazilian. She grew up over in the, in the wild west of Brazil over there. Yep. <laughs> and um, so we've been in the business now for 11, 11 years making malt, and we still grow barley on our farm as well, so we operate that. Um, <clears throat> we've got three young children, uh, Fred, Bell, and Trev. Uh, and yeah, so it's still a family business. We employ seven full-time staff, and we have three part-timers involved in the business. And yeah, it's just been trucking along quite nicely. Doug, just on the farming side of things, how much of uh, of producing malt for brewers is agriculture, and how much is science? Well, all farming science really these days, and, and I think sometimes farming gets a bit of a bad rap from you know from people who aren't quite so familiar with it. We, we, it's, a, it's a business that we have to be right on the ball with. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot at stake and we're talking about a lot of capital involved and every decision you make has to be a good one because otherwise you're going to come st- unstuck pretty fast. So we use science a lot in everything we do in the farming side of it. Now, we just specialise in growing malting barley now. We used to grow a lot of other crops and we used to have livestock and what have you, but just in the moulding barley side of it, yeah, it's very important. You, you, it's like it's like anything. It's only as the malt that we make can only be as good as the barley that we use to start with. So we've got to get the barley growing side right before we do anything else. Maybe oh, there, there's so many uh, questions I want to follow on from there, but maybe we just start at the beginning and tell us you know, about barley and what what is good barley. You know what what is it used for in the brewing process and and, and why is it so important? Why is good quality barley so important to to making great beer? Okay, so the first thing that we look for in, in barley is we want a nice fat barley. So the fatter the better and nice and clean. Now if it's good fat clean plump barley, then just about every other parameter on that barley should be okay. And that's sort so of fat th- means more um, sugars in there. It means more starches in there. Yeah. So yes. <coughs> excuse me. 
the, the, the fat barley will mean that it generally means that your protein levels are going to be lower and everything else is going to be in the right ratios in that grain, your starch levels and, and your, your better glucan levels and things like that. So fat, fat barley tends to come through when we test it through the lab really just where we want it. And the other thing, of course, about that, if it's fat barley, it means you're going to get a lot better extract out of it because you're going to have more starch and endosperm ratio compared to the cellulose wall structure and things like that. So straight away, you're going to get better extract. And the other thing, of course, we want to know, we want it to be as nice and clean and bright, which means that you don't get any uh, off flavors coming through in the malt, any graininess. You don't want any mycotoxins and fungal buildups on the outside of the grain because they will have an impact on the on the quality of the beer. For example, uh, certain fungal diseases such as fusarian will create gushing in beer where you can have those issues with it's something that doesn't normally happen with New Zealand uh, grown barleys, but sometimes uh, barley grown in moist, humid climates uh, or intercontinental climates can have those sort of problems. And that's one of the beauties about growing barley here in New Zealand. We've got a perfect climate for it. Barley likes to have a nice, cool growing uh, conditions during the growing season. And New Zealand being a maritime climate, in other words, we've got the sea pretty much all around us. Uh, we our, our daytime temperatures during the spring growing season don't really get much above about 18 degrees. And that's very important for barley because it sets up the right type of enzymes going through uh, into the grain fill stage. And then, of course, we're lucky here in New Zealand. We've got the Southern Alps and we get the northerly winds coming across them in summertime and we get the dry, uh, very low humid conditions at harvest time which means that we can lock in all that goodness when we go to harvest and keeps the grain nice, clean colour, nice and bright. And like Australia, we don't need to dry our grain before we harvest over here because we get those conditions. Whereas you go into places like the UK and Europe, some of those other areas, of course, they, um, they're harvesting the grain when it's up around 18 19% moisture and they artificially dry it. And sometimes those things can give different characteristics to the barley and some aromas coming through in the, in the finished malt. What leads a farmer to plant, you know, um, one type of malt over another? You know, what, what is the price premium for malting barley over, you know, some of the other table barleys? And I, I would imagine that that would be a big incentive to, to get them to do one over the other. That's right. Yeah. So the difference between the malting varieties and the feed varieties price-wise would probably be around about 20%. Uh, better price for it but then you've got to look at some of the feed varieties are better yielding and if you're growing a feed feed variety generally uh, speaking sometimes they're easy to grow and the fact that they're more resistant to certain diseases and like I said they will yield more so the malting companies have to pay a, a good premium otherwise they're not going to secure that good quality malting varieties now the difference between the two varieties from a brewing point of view is that feed varieties have a, have a different enzyme makeup so they're going to perform differently for the brewer in the, in the brew house. So it's very important that you start off with the right barley variety when we're malting. And like I say, yes, the, the, they'll have different enzyme characteristics for the brewer, but they'll all have, also have different ways they'll perform in the malt house. So we'll get different extracts, you'll have different uh, fermentability and, and, and that type of thing coming through with them too. So it's very important we get the right barley variety to start with. Oh, and I should just sort of explain for listeners that maybe aren't sort of across that enzymes uh, are important because the starches or the, the, the sugars in barley are, are very long sugars. They're complex sugars that yeast can't ferment and the, the enzymes act in the brewing process to break those down into fermentable sugars 
um, which is their relevance here, isn't it? Absolutely right. So the enzymes, uh, during the moulding process, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to create as many enzymes as we can, and we want the right type of enzymes that chop those uh, those complex chains down into smaller chains that are, are fermentable for the brewer uh, so that the yeast can start to feed off those uh, fermentable sugars and also the soluble proteins because obviously yeast is a plant and it needs soluble nitrogen to feed off as well and that creates the alcohol and it creates the uh, obviously the CO2. Now if you get them in the wrong ratios or you don't get the right type of enzymes uh, activating there then you'll have poor fermentation uh, and things like that and then you can end up with other issues such as haze in your beer. Uh, so yeah it is very important that you start with the right variety. Now that's one of the issues uh, I think that's starting to come into play now in, uh, in agriculture is the fact that the, the price premium offered for, for moulding barley by some of the bigger companies is not, not great enough and they're under pressure by the big breweries to be uh, producing mould as cheaply as they can. So they're, they're driving down the barley price and of course that's pushing the growers to grow uh, feed barleys that are better, higher yielding. And that's one thing you'll see over in Australia at the moment. There's a lot of feed barley getting shipped over to China to be made into into malt in, in the Chinese maltings uh, for the beers over there. And of course, that's putting pressure uh, on the malting varieties. People aren't so keen to grow them anymore. During um, Good Beer Week in Melbourne, um, David Cryer, who's obviously a sponsor of the, of the program and a competitor of yours, I should add, um, he, but he hosted a, a very interesting discussion between the maltsters and the barley growers and, and, and the brewers, raising um, a, a lot of those issues and pointing out that, you know, if craft brewers want a certain type of barley um, or, you know, a, a better quality malt, they need to be willing to uh, pay a premium and, you know, go straight to and work with barley growers. And it sounds like very much that's what you guys have done um, to, you know, take your product, your malts or your, your barleys directed to the uh, brewers by introducing that middle step uh, of malting. Yeah, absolutely right. We identified early on in the piece that the craft brewers require a different type of malt than what we call the mainstream brewers, okay, the big breweries that are making the type, the type of beers such as Heineken and that. So the craft brewers making a more um, sophisticated type of beer where they're not looking for so much fermentability. They don't want to have the beers to ferment out and give that uh, sort of that light, dry sort of a finish because they're adding other flavour profiles coming through and adding a lot of hops. So they need to have a malt that's been malted completely differently than what the big uh, malting companies do. But at the same time, uh, you've got to remember it is a very small volume market. And so the, the big maltsters aren't really set up to be able to do those individual smaller type um, uh, uh, malting systems to create that different type of malt spec for the craft brewer or the home brewer. That said, I'm, I've just been looking at uh, some of the photos on your website and uh, it looks like you've got a fairly impressive uh, setup there. It must have been expensive for somebody who was growing barley to you know, add all of that equipment. to, to it, it would be a very hard thing to just uh, transition into or to put a toe in the water into malting. You, you must have had to make a big leap. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And we're very sort of lucky how we sort of got into the into the industry and I guess it's getting harder and harder to get into that because when we first started out, uh, I guess the, uh, the the bar wasn't so high. Uh, the craft There wasn't a lot of craft breweries around us and uh, the quality of product on offer was quite low. So we were able to get in there with uh, get it, get systems up and running and then obviously we've improved and realised what, what it is the customer 
actually wants. And the one thing that we realize is that the craft brewer requires a very consistent product. And that's because the craft brewer doesn't have the ability to blend beers away. They, they don't have sometimes access to uh, the right equipment and what have you. So they must have a very consistent product. And that's when we realized, look, if we were going to be serious about producing high-quality craft malt for the craft brewers, we had to invest in some pretty expensive sort of equipment and, and do it right right from the start. Yeah, and it was, it was, a, it was a real leap, really, of uh, faith to know whether or not it was going to work. And, and of course, now we're starting to um, see some benefits of it and, and, and things are coming through and it's really working for us. But it, it's been... The secret to that, I guess, has been investing in, in certain equipment, such as our lab equipment, making sure we can analyse all the, all the malts that come through and make sure they're in spec and what have you. So, yeah, to answer your question, a lot of money to get into that uh, to that area. And, of course, there isn't a huge volume of um, of turnover. So, uh, you, you know, your overhead costs are pretty high. It's, it's valid to point out, too, that we had the farm to keep us going until we get the mod house up and running. So we we didn't need to pay for the barley that we were using in the mod house straight up, like you not know, the 20th following. So we could wait and get the money for that barley as a farmer once we sold the malt. So that that's in itself is a huge overdraft facility straight up. So there's a few things like this that made us be where we are now. Yeah, we were lucky. We had the cash flow from the farm. We had other crops coming on board and that, so that, that was able to keep us going. Yeah. It, did, did you work with craft brewers beforehand? Did you have good relationships with craft brewers when you were just growing the barley that sort of led you to get into the malt? No, not really. What happened was uh, I visited a few craft breweries uh, before we got started and they were complaining about the product and, and saying that it was inconsistent and, and it wasn't what they were after and and we, we thought, well, we, we grow malting barley, and we thought, well, why can't we um, try and produce something that'll, that'll fit their bill? And, and, of course, when we talked to them about it, they said, yeah, 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 we're really keen. But until we'd actually had, had our own product, we'd, we didn't really know whether, A, we could produce it to the right uh, characteristics, and, B, whether we could do it in a way that would be economical. And uh, so we just had to bite the bullet, and we had a go, and, and uh, yeah, it was instant success. But, you know, we've had to work pretty hard at it. We Obviously, uh, the banks at the time weren't prepared to lend any money to us for those uh, in those early days. Um, so we had to, you know, pretty much build everything ourselves. Very similar to, to the craft brewers out there now who start up. And that's, I think, why we get on so well with a lot of guys. You know, we understand what it's like trying to piece things together on a shoestring budget and, and how you've got to sort of be a, <laughs> a jack of all trades and, and uh, be able to do a bit of everything. So... You know, it has been hard work, that's for sure. And of course, we had the, had a couple of earthquakes thrown in the, in the mix halfway through, uh, getting things up and running and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, but I, I mean, that all hardens you up, and, and you start to learn some pretty good um, uh, lessons going through, which have been very valuable. How hard was it to go from being a, bar, a barley grower to being a maltster, though? There's, I would imagine that there'd be a whole new uh, field of research that you would have had to to, to enter to understand the the process and to, to get it right. Um, yeah, absolutely. And it was something that we're, 
we were both very passionate about, and we've done a, we do a lot of research even now. We always, I think it's one of those things, a bit like brewing. The, the more the more you know, the less you yes, know. <laughs> and uh, we did a powerful lot of research in the early days. Uh, we, we visited uh, maltings overseas, did a lot of reading, and of course, old Google's a wonderful thing for learning <laughs> things as well. But and of course, trial and error, and you know, we had to play around things and, and um, just use a lot of the, um, good old-fashioned pra- practical common sense. And you know, we we asked a lot of people around. One thing in New Zealand, and probably is the same in Australia. I'm not sure there isn't a lot of um, information on malting. There isn't you know, too many maltings uh, around the area, so we really had to look overseas quite a lot for information. And another thing that was a bit of a um, we noticed was a bit of a problem. A lot of the information that you did read was you know. 30, 40, 50 years old, and it was out of date. So, yeah, we had to use a fair bit of our own common sense and trial and error. And did you throw a lot of uh, spoiled grain out? <laughs> oh, well, yeah, in the early days, we we uh, had to throw the odd batch out, that's for sure. But um, now that we're up and running, it's very rare that we have a, a, a problem with a batch. And if it is, it's generally because of uh, equipment failure. Uh, you know, we've got a pretty good uh, system in place, and, and we have to. So, um, you know, for those sort of things to happen, it's, it's generally a, a barley fault that's come through that hasn't been picked up. And um, so, you know, not very often now, that's for sure. Gabby, you get to do the uh, the sales and marketing side of things. So I guess you're uh, in touch face-to-face with a lot of the, um, the, the, the buyers of your product. So those brewers, are they in the same way that a lot of, uh, drinkers of the end of the finished product are very loyal to you know certain brands sort of thing. Do you find that uh, the brewers, for their specialty malt or their dark malt, they'll always sort of use this one, and they'll yep. uh, they'll tend to stick with another one uh, to, as their base malt and that sort of thing. So when you're I guess pitching your product, do you find that you have is there a bit of resistance to to taking on a new supplier? Well, I not not really. Like basically, the the the, the brewer that I visit has. First is is open to to something new. Otherwise, you wouldn't accept my visit. But as uh, I let the product talk to for itself, uh, Prof. You know, is I we give you know like you give this is the malt you you try and see if you if you can see the benefits. I like to do the less talking and more and more let you try. Um, the brewers are really, really behind us. I mean, we've been being overwhelmed with the Australian support, this for sure. And, you know, they are after something different. They have to because it's a highly competitive market for the volume they are selling. So they need to have the edge, and that's where Gladfield comes in. You know, we, we make unique products to suit their needs. We can customise blends for them uh, to suit the colour that they're after or, you know, you name it. So, you know, classic example is the new malt, the American Ale, you know, is a, is a talk with clients, feedback from clients. And, you know, it's, it's basically that. It's, it's a conversation and we try to fit in where, you know, where they want it. And, and you know, as you said, the clients is always right. So we go and, and try to please. What sort of um, volumes are you doing in producing in terms of uh the, the, the malt you're producing, and have you, you know, sort of used more than you grow yourselves and had to start buying in a, yeah. a, a, other barley? Yeah, that's right. So obviously the business has is, is, is been quite successful, and now we've got to a stage where we do have to buy in from local growers around us. And what we've done there is we've sort of gone around and, and picked out growers 
who want to be part of our story, who uh, progressive growers themselves. So we're just taking those guys in and, uh, and they're basically part of the family of Gladfield now. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a great thing for farmers around us. Farmers, they don't just want to be rewarded for what they do. They want to be recognised. Yeah. And, and that's the beauty about it uh, with the growers that we get on board. You know, they, they, we take them and visit, they visit the, uh, the brewers and, and they feel as though, you know, it's, they're part of the whole thing. They get to see why it is they need to have their barley certain parameters and, and how these affect the, you know, the different quality of the barley will affect the moulding and, and, and eventually in the beer. So it, it sort of it works, it works both ways and it's all about that communication from the brewer coming right all the way back to the grower and, and uh, going turning full circle. Do you, do you get brewers sending you uh, cartons of beer um, you know, as, as thanks for the, for the malt? Do you do? It must, that must be a special treat. Oh, it's a it's a wonderful industry to be in, uh, Matt. It's just so. Normally, they just send us a check, <laughs> <laughs> which which works just as well, I'd imagine. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> oh, it's nothing more rewarding, to be honest, is go and walk into a pub or a venue that you know that you drink a beer that we know is our malts in there, and we know that we grow the barley, and we're involved in the whole process. It's uh, for farmer. Farming background, this is the icing on the cake. You know, you got control of the whole chain. And, yeah, it's really it's, it's a real proud moment when these happen. You, you, have, you guys have that rare privilege, I guess, of, of getting the full, you know, kind of paddock to pot uh, or paddock yep. to pint kind of um, scenario where, yeah, one minute it's, it's, it's sort of blowing in the breeze and, uh, and the next thing you know, it's, uh, you know, it's foaming in a, in a pot in your hand. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's... it's yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty satisfying. And now, you mentioned not, with, with a high shield, hard work, I should say. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> now, you guys have, have um, sort of a bit of a footstep or a, into into Australia, um, yeah. and you've got uh, a warehouse in Victoria, but you're looking to expand. So things, obviously, you, you're confident of um, of Australia as a, a market that can uh, can share the love with your business. Yeah, we are. We're confident. We just want to uh, provide a, a service and uh, people are asking for it. So while people are asking for that service, we'll continue to provide it. We've got to make sure that we look after our existing customers as we grow. So that's very important for us. And I think that's something that a lot of craft brewers do as well, obviously. You know, once they get successful, um, you know, they need to manage how they grow and, and where they offer their their products and we're the same but we think yes is, is this great opportunity and we'd like to be able to have our products right across Australia uh, and of course we're into other areas of the world as well but well, you know you, you've got to be able to walk before you run and uh, we don't want to um, go cutting off our nose just to spot our face and, and, and being greedy and, and I think that's where you know you've got to be very careful. Are you getting the premium for your grain that is enticing other um, growers to grow for you? Um, is, is the malt being that well received that you can command that sort of premium for, for the base grain? Yeah, obviously we're able to pay a premium for our barley. Well, we have to, and that's what it's all about. I mean, we want the good quality product. But look, we've got to put things in perspective in, in the volume side of things. You know, when you talk about mainstream um, feed barley that gets grown, uh, or just in New Zealand figures, which is very small compared to Australia, 
you know, you're looking at about 350,000 tonne of, of feed barley grown in New Zealand. And uh, you look, we, for the malting side of it, we're only looking at, you know, a few thousand tonne. So it's a very small sort of a proportion. And yes, we're trying to do our best to try and create uh, a, a market for the growers and what have you. But in, in the scheme of things, it is still pretty small. Where can Australia, well, we've got listeners around the world, I guess, but where, where can Australian and uh, our New Zealand listeners find your malts? Well, basically, you uh, contact us. We deal direct in Australia uh, to the pro brewers, the commercial brewers. So I do all the, the, the liaising, and then we got to distribute it for the homebrew um, uh, market in Australia, which is uh, Beer Co., and then he liaises with his homebrew shops and, and the home brewers. So uh, you can find a lot of information on our website, how to contact us, and especially in the homebrew inside of it, there's a whole page there with um, homebrew suppliers. They store um, stock our malts. And, yeah, the stock to the moment is in Tullamarine, and... Yeah, basically, it's just it's just an email away to the brewer. Yeah, but for the for the home brewers, the, the distributor we have uh, over in Australia is Dermot Dowling there for uh, for Beer Co. and and uh, yeah, we like to to deal direct to to the commercial guys because uh, I think that's one of the services that we can provide for those guys. It's not just you know, you know good malt and all that, but we can offer them any uh, technical advice on the brewing side of it and uh, any issues that they have we can work yeah. with them and I think that's one of the, the key things about uh, supplying malt to the, to the craft brewers that they do need to have some sort of backup and a scrape that we can be uh, in touch with them 24-7 really I, I guess that's uh, one of the, the big questions is we've seen a, a lot of uh, brewers unable to get the hops that they want because they haven't been big enough or quick enough to uh, get forward contracts on their signature hops. Is, is that likely to be an issue if, if someone converts and starts uh, using Gladfield malt? Uh, do they need to think about you know locking in supply agreements in advance, or are you guys well and truly producing enough for, for, for the time being? Well, what, what we work on is trying to build a relationship, and if we can have a good, solid relationship with a with a brewer, then we get to know what their usage is going forward. It's really hard for a brewer to uh, predict just exactly how much uh, beer they're going to be making going ahead uh, in the year. I mean, a lot of a lot of brewers now they're getting into the supermarket chain and trying to supply the supermarket chains, and you know they might have to fill a pipeline all of a sudden uh, without a lot of uh, warning. And and then who knows? Sometimes that that can thing take off, and things can can go out of. Um, way out of what they've budgeted for on sale so we need to be flexible and work with them and but that's why it's always good to have a good relationship with them and uh, you know and then you know if things go up or down well, we can talk and, and that's what it's all about uh, for us it's just about managing our growth and, and making sure we don't bite off more than we can chew uh, and just looking after existing customers and going forward obviously we're continually building our uh, you know capacity to try and keep up and uh, so we don't see any issues going forward this is just Matt breaking in a bit of a postscript. Uh, during the interview with Doug and Gabby, we were, at this point of the interview, we were just coming to the uh, farewells and goodbyes and sign-offs, and which, which we did. And then, as often happens, uh, once the tape was off, Pete and I keep chatting uh, and having a great conversation just about other things. Um, and during which Doug talked about some stuff that was really interesting, and uh, I managed to hit the record button again just in time to uh, capture some of that. So I'm just going to throw that in here. It's a bit of a non sequitur, but it was well worth uh, listening to, and then we'll get back to the uh, thank yous and goodbyes. I think that um, the, the, the brewers, uh, 
you know, their knowledge of malt sometimes probably needs to be a wee bit improved. This is the, this is the pro brewers I'm talking about. Um, and I think sometimes they're so focused on, on growing their sales and making sure they get the distributors on and on everything else. And, you know, there's some wee technical things some of them miss out on, on in the brewing, and they, they're quick to, once they get a, a good recipe and get it up and running, they're quick to bring another guy off the street to, to do the everyday brewing. And, and that's the point I was, I was getting at before. It's really important that we have very consistent malt because a lot of the guys that are using the malt aren't capable of, you know, making changes on the run to, to, the, to the mash or what have yeah. you. They just don't have enough experience, and you know, like, like sometimes you see you go into some craft breweries there, and they do lack a lot of uh, basic um, lab equipment, things like that. And you know, there's nothing worse when you go out somewhere with a mate, and um, you, you're trying to impress them by buying them um, fancy craft beer that last time you had was absolutely excellent, and then you, they go to drink it, and, and you know, there's there's um, brewing faults with it that are, that are quite major. And yeah, you know, so it's really important that we all stick together and try and increase yeah, every, everybody's uh, knowledge on, on different things. And you know, we've got to make it profitable so that they can afford to to invest in, in the right equipment. It it is an interesting um, you know dynamic when, when people talk about you know, craft brewing and you know they they see the evils of the of the big brewers. But they're, they're often those are often a little bit misplaced um, in, in at least in my view. And you, you you look at the big brewers who reach a size, and what they're after is high quality ingredients, but to very specific specifications to aid their brew house efficiency. And yes. because they're big enough, they're able to, you know, skew the barley market and the malting market to those needs. Yeah. Which means that these the small people that you know who are the the dog or the, the the tail of the dog are getting wagged um, by the dog as opposed to vice versa. It sounds like you guys are very much targeting you know re- reversing that and not necessarily you know and, and looking at the needs of the craft brewers and providing it to them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's dead right. You did right, but we're trying to do it in a prof- very professional way so that, that it is a high quality product because there's there's a lot of people out there that think oh <coughs> excuse me that can. Can just get in and uh, and make um, you know craft mold and they'll be able to make it for these craft brewers. These craft brewers, you know, you, we are, you owe it to them to make sure you can make a very high quality, consistent product because there's a lot of money at stake. And um, if they go and put the beer out and they've got to tip it down the drain or what have you, there's you know there's a big cost there. And uh, so yeah, like, we're absolutely right. We're trying to trying to create a product on a small scale, but trying to make sure we keep it a very uh, professional type of uh, uh, product that's coming out. And for, I mean, for people listening at home, I guess the the analogy I draw for that, you know, with with looking at you know making a product that is you know bulletproof the, the way that the monsters are for the big brewers. Yeah. Um, the, the big brewers are doing that in turn for us by making beers that can sit on a shelf for six months and you know and, and, and survive. So it's you know pasteurized. It's you know, um, you know able to you know, survive the rigors of long distribution channels and still be a high quality product. Yeah. Craft beer isn't like that, but you know um, you, you need to treat your craft beer a little bit differently. Um, and that was what I was picking up um, from you guys is that. The, the, the brewers can't just use your malts the same way that they have become yeah, conditioned yeah. to using the big malts. Yeah, yeah, that that is in in a way is 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 true because I, I noticed that the brewers use our malts and they they are use of uh, brewing from a malt that's inconsistent size. So first they tie their mill right down to get that little kernel to get the most out of it they can. Gladfield's opposite. You need to 
open your mill up so because the grain is even size it's all two two and a half mil going through a seed cleaner so this first up they have a stuck mesh when they use gladfield sometimes and they say well you're supposed to be a good malt and I say well just just use your initiative to look at the crush malts and see how how you're dealing with that you know and it's a fresher malt if you're going through from an overseas malt so it's a lot more friable yeah, it's in pH as well is quite um, unique malt. So the pH tend to be, um, you know, compared to other malts on a, on a within spec, but on a high end. So they don't uh, measure the pH. They don't. So they just treat it as as they, the the other supplier. And um, as as it, I I try to teach them to just start from scratch. You know, start from as your first time you're brewing it, and keep an eye on that variables and you'll make a beautiful beer if you do. Wonderful. Oh, uh, as, this as time usual, we, Matt, we've done it again. We, we, we've cutting done it again. Room, cutting room no, old. No, no, I, I, I recorded that, so yeah, no, I'll, no, I'll, 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 I'll stitch that in and uh, keep it going. But... <laughs> no worries. We, we often no, get, when, but... when, when we say the interview's over, we often then get, yeah. you know, just a little gem that the guest either doesn't think to mention because uh, it might not be important or maybe it's a bit controversial or, you know, didn't, want, <laughs> didn't have the opportunity to bring it up, but then bang. Yeah, yeah. no, so we that's okay. Stitch, oh. We stitch that back in, we'll stitch that back in later. Oh, well, Doug and Gabby, yeah, Michael, thank you very much for joining us on Radio Brews Congratulations on uh, Gladfield Malt and all the best for the future. Oh, thank you very thank much. Thank you. Yeah, Thanks for great. having us on your program. It's a, it's a huge privilege to Doug and I. And, um, yeah, thank you very much. And, and make sure if anybody's over this way, uh, don't hesitate yeah. to call in and say good day and we'll show you around. We'll absolutely do that. Good on you. Cheers, Cheers guys. There you go, Prof. They say good pe- uh, beer people are good people, and I can't think of much nicer people than Doug and Gabby. Uh, exactly. And and just uh, just in Apart case people from were David Cryer, of course. <laughs> exactly. Oh, of course. Um, <laughs> and in case people were just listening along, and those people who take notes and and try to find faults and that sort of thing, Matt at the in the in introducing that segment uh, didn't mean to say that they brew malt specifically for the Australian craft beer um, industry. They grow malt. Did I say brew malt? Brew, well, they no, they they uh, malt barley. They make malt, yep. but you said for specifically for the Australian craft beer market. Well, not specifically New Zealand yeah. craft beer, and then and Australia yeah. and the world. Oh yeah, absolutely. Sorry, yes. So I should be limiting there. You know, but specifically for craft brew for for small brewers, exactly for particular needs of small brewers, wherever they may be and whatever their sex, race, or gender. Exactly. But thank you for uh, highlighting that, Prof. But yes, we do, we do get we do get little cards and letters about such things. And speaking of cards and letters, there we go. That was our uh, cards and letters theme song this week. Um, Prof, we do we do have some uh, cards and letters. Um, firstly, um, I will acknowledge we, we we have been asking listeners. You know, um, th- this is a free podcast. We do have great sponsors um, toying with the idea. We've had have had a couple of people have asked us whether they can support us in some way. So we might even put a donation button 
there. Um, I don't anticipate too much money coming in, but every little bit helps cover our bandwidth. So, yeah, we, we, we might toy with that idea, Prof. Uh, we'll park it for now. But we have been asking people to you know, help other people find the podcast, um, yeah, maybe by giving us a rating on iTunes if, if, uh, you're an iTunes, if you find us on iTunes. And um, now I've got no idea who this is, Prof, but his handle is S-E-E-S-S-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-
anyway, so sorry for the rant, but uh, no, Justin, thank you very much for taking the time. And yeah, it, it raises some really good questions. We don't see that level of um, beer muling, as uh, he, he called it. Um, and it, it, it's, on one hand, you sort of think, well, the laws of supply and demand. Um, however, Prof, have you ever seen it when, you know, beers that are selling on the black market or on the sort of you know, secondary market for two to $300, can you imagine the uproar if a craft brewer, you know, said, well, people are obviously willing to pay that. Well, I should be charging that as well. start at that point, yeah. Yeah, can you imagine what the um, the uproar would be? And uh, yet, you know, people that have done nothing other than, you know, lined up, uh, sort of, you know, driving the price up. So anyway, listeners, maybe that's something that you can feel a little bit of a comment and a little bit of feedback uh, for next week's podcast. And if you are, if my comments on the matter have made you all hot under the collar, uh, as apparently they sometimes do, you can get online now and phone me and give me a piece of your mind. And you can do that by calling just... That number sorry. again. <laughs> Zero seven. Oh seven. Wait for it. Oh, you know, if, if I had a half decent, yeah, if I had a producer, I could, I could do. Okay, here we go. Oh seven. You used to have three, one. Sacked him. Well, you're meant to no, do all of this. Oh seven. Oh seven three zero four zero one five zero eight. That number again. Oh seven three zero four zero one five zero eight. And uh, call now. We have operators. We actually have a tape machine awaiting your call. Uh, yeah, so let us know. Send us an email. Go old school. Send us a, a, a card or uh, yeah, give us give us stop a stop us in uh, the street. Stop us in the street. Pull up a stool um, next to us at the bar. You could hey, actually Come just see us uh, Justin has uh, indicated that he would like to grab us uh, both for a beer. So anyway, find us. Tell us what you really think. Um, we certainly do that for you. Anyway, listeners, um, Prof, any more that we need to add? Next week, we're going to be speaking, going from malt to hops. We, the Bath Haas uh, crop report was out this week. So we're going to just uh, reprise some of the chats we had about back in March um, about where hops are going, um, which yeah, I think is quite fascinating. Um, we're going to be speaking to Mez, Mezen from... Mazen uh, Hajar. Mazen Hajar. Yep. Um, <laughs> who's a very funny guy, wonderful character um, from Hawker Beer. Um, and we do have a couple of other really good uh, podcasts. We're still trying to get um, Red Oak on. They seem, the ABC seems to find them easily enough. Um, but anyway, um, we'll see whether we can get them on. But uh, listeners, please let us know who you would like to hear from. Anything else, Prof? No, that's all for me. Well, I might uh, just sort of unpack the band and uh, strike it up and talk to you next week. Have a good trip, uh, Rocky. Stay safe out in the grass there. And we're out.